Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening, turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. <clears throat> And I'm going to read the entire chapter. Jeremiah chapter 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the third month. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. The Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot, and the face thereof is toward the north. Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come. And they shall set every one his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all the walls thereof round about, and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me, and have burned incense unto other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Thou therefore gird up thy loins, and arise, and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city, and an iron pillar, and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, and against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. So tonight, the title of the message is Understanding Our Sovereign God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, for the instruction it gives us and the revelation of yourself that we find in the scriptures, complete revelation, uh, all that we need to know. And we pray that you help us as we consider this subject tonight to understand that you are sovereign, and yet you've given us a free will. And so, Lord, help us to understand how the balance of that, and uh, help us to realize that we're in your hand, and nothing shall uh, harm or hurt us unless thou allow us. So, Lord, just work and glorify yourself. Give us understanding in thy truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible very clearly declares that God is sovereign. 
1 Corinthians 29, 11 says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. And thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Verse 12, Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might. In thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Psalm 47, 2. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. And Isaiah 14, 24 says, The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. The word sovereign means supreme, to be above all others, and to be independent of others. When you are independent of others, what others do does not change you or affect you. Affect what you do. We are affected by other people. You know, as much as we want to think that we may be independent thinkers, and you know, there are some people that are more independent thinkers than others and aren't affected by as much, some uh, people as much as others, but all of us are affected in some way by what other people do. Our actions and reactions are, are, some, are many times affected by what other people do. But, but God is God, and He's going to do what's right, and what is His will, it doesn't really matter what man does or anyone else does. He's sovereign. And we see that God is sovereign, and I, and I have five things here tonight and ways we see God is sovereign. First of all, God is sovereign in his creation. In verse 5, we find that he says, And before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Unto the nations. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. You know, the psalmist tells us he even created the, the wicked for the, the day of evil, or the day of calamity. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Even the bounds of the sea, Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 22 says this, Fear ye not, fear ye not me, saith the Lord. We not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it, and though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. And of course, Proverbs 28, 28, 29 says, When he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth. See, God is sovereign over all his creation. He created it. And he created it for himself to glorify himself. That's why he created everything. And he is sovereign over it. 
You know, he is, he is creator of the nations and sovereign over the nations. Again, he says in verse 5 that I have ordained thee a prophet in the nations. You know, Jeremiah was a prophet not just to the nation of Israel, though we often think that Jeremiah just prophesied Israel. He didn't just prophesy to Israel. He prophesied about many nations and concerning many nations. He didn't go to those other nations, but he prophesied concerning them. Of course, Babylon came to Jerusalem and Judea while he was prophesying. But he, all, he did, at the end of his life, he was actually taken, against his own will, to Egypt. And he did prophesy there. So, so he was a prophet to the nations. In fact, if you look in chapter 27, and verses uh, 1 through 8, he lists some of the nations he prophesied to. It says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord to me, make thee boards and yokes, and, and uh, uh, boards and yokes, and put them upon thy neck, and send them to the king of Edom, to the king of Moab, and to the king of the Ammonites, to the king of Tyrus, to the king of Sidon, to the, by the hand of messengers which come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and command them to say unto their masters, Thus saith the Lord God of the hosts of the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say unto your masters, I have made the earth. The man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I have given it into whom it seemed meet unto me. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beast of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all the nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of this land come. And then many nations, great and kings, shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that will not put their yoke neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword, with the famine, and with pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. You see, God is sovereign of the nations. He raised up Babylon to bring judgment upon his own people. And judgment on the nations around there that he, that he lists here, Edom and and the Ammonites, and so on and so forth. You know, in, but and then again, in, 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 you know, in chapter 46, he talks about uh, the judgment of Egypt. Chapter 47, it's Tyre and the Philistines. Chapter 48, it's Moab again. And, and 49, uh, Ammon and Edom. Chapter 50 and 51, it's Babylon. He prophesies against Babylon. And he tells us in chapter 51, verse 64, that Babylon shall sink. And not arise. Do you know there's not a Babylon today? Sodom Hussein wanted to rebuild it. But it's not. You know, we do have a mystery Babylon, spoken of in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, which I believe is Rome, the Roman Catholic Church. But, but see, God is the creator of the nations, and he's sovereign over the nations. And if you, if you read the Bible carefully, you, you'll come to understand that God uses, He even uses wicked nations to judge other nations. You know, the, whole book, the book of Habakkuk is about how God, um, I think it was Syria, God used Syria to bring judgment upon Israel. And Habakkuk's like, oh, wait a minute, Lord, how can you do this? They're more wicked than we are. But the point God, Lord makes is, look, you're my people. And you're rebelling against me, and I'm going to bring judgment upon you. And, and he used other nations. You know, he has determined the boundaries of the nations. In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8, 
says, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. It all has to do with centers around Israel. That's the, the eye of the world, so to speak. In Acts 17.26, He hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. You know, this determining of the nations has been, has been resisted by man. God has allowed it. But the violation of what God has set has been a cause of much sorrow and division within nations. Within nations. Think about it. What's our open borders causing in our nation right now? causing a lot of sorrow. It's dividing. You know, it's been a source of division in our nation. And so, you know, God is sovereign. Now, here is the conundrum. Here's the puzzle to man. This is, this is where men, men have problems with this. If God is sovereign, why does he allow all this wickedness? That is a good question. And there is an answer. But it is one we really don't like. That's why we don't, many people don't want to accept it. Instead, just blame God. The answer is, God in his sovereignty made man in his image with a free will. With the power to choose. We have the power to choose life. We have the power to choose death. We have the power to do his will or not to do his will, do our own thing. And really, what that does is, it makes us responsible for our actions. See, it brings responsibility down to, we are responsible for our actions. We are going to be accountable. And men don't like that. So it declares us responsible for the death and destruction we see in the world, and we don't want to accept that. You know, Romans 5.12 says, For wherefore by his one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 8.24 says, For the creature, and that has the idea of every creature that's created, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. It's, it's man that has subjected us to this sin-cursed world. It wasn't God's choice. God gave man a choice. And man, you know there was no death till Adam sinned. Man sinned and animals began to kill each other. And we began to commit crimes. We began to eat meat, by the way, and to commit crimes against humanity. Now, I'm kind of glad we began to eat meat. Of course, you know, if you never ate anything other than vegetables and fruits, you wouldn't know any different anyway. But, but, and still we'd ask, well, why would God allow that? Well, do you want a tyrant for a god? Tyrants are unforgiving and unmerciful. And if you don't think that, just study Islam. I mean, do you enjoy the privilege of liberty? You know, what we rebel is at is that there are consequences to our choices because God is sovereign and he has established the boundaries or the laws of justice and judgment for he is the judge of all. But that doesn't, you know, regardless of what we think about the situation, it doesn't change the fact 
that God is sovereign, we will have to answer to him. It doesn't change the fact that we are accountable for our own actions. So, you know, God is sovereign. And then thirdly, we see God is sovereign in our place of service. Uh, in verse 5, it says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You know, God determines our place of service as his people. Uh, you know, he even determines the place of service of the wicked. You know, he, he told Pharaoh, for this purpose have I raised thee up, that thy, my power might be magnified in thee. You know, God, you know, even Judas. Now, God didn't make Judas betray the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it of his own free will. But God knew Judas would. God has foreknowledge. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knows the choices we're going to make next week. But he does not dictate those choices. He counsels us in those choices. But he's given us a free will like he has. You know, we have the ability to reason out, to think through, to weigh out decisions. Nothing else in creation has that ability. But God is sovereign in our place of service. Again, he determines where we serve or how we serve. In Numbers 4, 24, speaking of the Gershonites, it says, For this is the service of the families of the Gershonites, to serve and for burdens. It had to do with the, the taking care of the taking down of the tabernacle and the transportion of it. And then in chapter 8, verse 24 of Numbers, it says, This is it that belongeth unto the Levites. From twenty and five years up, old and upward, they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. You know, in First Chronicles 25, 6, it says, All these were under the hands of their father for song in the house of the Lord. These were David appointed them, for, they were for singers in the house of the Lord. And with psalteries and harps, and for the service of God in the house of God, according to the king's order to Asaph and Jeduthun and, and Heman. And, and, and we come over to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. God has set, in other words, he has appointed, he has chosen some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, which would be pastors. Of course, the apostles have passed off the scene. There's no apostles today. And the prophets are foretelling the future or giving us added revelation. That's, that's also passed off the scene. Um, and it says, after that, miracles and gifts of healings. Of course, this was written during the, the, the time uh, before the apostles passed off. So there were still gifts of healings being done. Helps, governments. Diversities of tongue or interpretations of tongues. You know, there were those in the church at Corinth who served in the business world so they could serve the Lord through supplying the needs of the church and the evangelistic missionary outreach. You know, they were a great help. In fact, Paul wrote concerning that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, For the administration of the service not only supplies the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgiving unto God. So he's writing to the church at Corinth saying, Look, we're thankful that there are those who are supplying our needs. They're working. You know, we work to, in the world for two reasons, to live and to give. You know, without, without 
you working in the world to supply the needs of the church, we wouldn't have a church. We wouldn't have it. Uh, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't uh, can carry on like we do. And so, you know, the, you know and, and sometimes we, 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 we have this idea that there are those in the church who are in secular work, and then there are those who are in the ministry. That's really not a right way of looking at it. The ministry is us. It's us. And it's us that makes the ministry function. That includes you that work in the world. You see, God has set some in the church to be pastors and teachers, and he set some in the church to work at the city, to work at you know, raising birds, to, to work in real estate, to work whatever, in construction, so that the church can function as it should and reach the community. So, again, but it's God who determines our place of service. He says to, to Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, I set thee apart, and I ordain thee to be a prophet unto the nations. I ordain thee. I chose thee. We see that God is sovereign to make possible our service. Now, again, look what Jeremiah said in verses 6 or 9. Then the word Lord, or, I'm sorry, then, I, then said I, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. The word child there means a young, young man. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. Whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words into my into uh, into thy mouth. And, and so, you, it is God, who is sovereign, that makes possible our service for the Lord. You know, he told Israel, and I think it's in Deuteronomy 20, 28, or Deuteronomy 8, I give thee power to get wealth. I will make you above the nations. I will make you to lend under the nations. And I will make the nations to borrow from thee. I, I, I. You see, it's God that gives us the abilities and the talents we have to work in his place, in his, wherever his field is in this world, for us to serve. Um, you know, he makes possible that service. You know, Jer- Jeremiah again says, I, I can't do this. You know, I'm just a child. I'm young. I can't speak. Did you ever feel like you were asked to do something you don't feel like you could do? Well, there's two things I want to notice here. First of all, we need to rest in the presence of God to enable us. And notice again in verse 8, he says, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Now, understand the time that Jeremiah asked are told to prophesy. You know, he's told, the nation of Israel is in apostasy. 
Um, you know, this is, this is uh, the days of Jehoiakim. Remember Jehoiakim? You know, Jeremiah had prophesied and Barak had written it in a book. And, and then uh, one of the men of Jehoiakim, I think it was the high priest or something, had read it. And, and, they, and, they, and they told him to hide it. And then they went in and told the king about it. And they feared for the people. And, and, and Jeho- so, they, so Jehoiakim commanded to have it come. To, brought to him and read before him. And, and so they begin to read it before him. And Jehoiakim takes it and with a penknife cuts it up and throws it in the fire. He didn't want to stop there. He wanted to kill Jeremiah. But the Lord hit him. The Lord hit him. See, this is the kind of day that Jeremiah was prophesying. And Jeremiah wasn't prophesying the nation of Israel and saying, Oh, you're doing great. You know, you need to keep on doing what you're doing. No, he said he was telling him, Look, you need to you need to surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, because he's taking you away from this place because of your wickedness. It's going to be 70 years captivity. Surrender. Or you are going to die by the sword. That's basically his message to the nation of Israel. And of course, he got put in the pit. One point for it. He was putting in. He was also put uh, in a in a dungeon, and you know where they said he would die, bread fed with bread and water, prison food. You see, this wasn't a. This wasn't a. And, and so Jeremiah is saying, "Look, I can't do this." can't do this but lord says look don't be afraid of their faces i am with we need to rest in the presence of god who will enable us you know psalm 138 verse 8 says the lord will perfect that which concerneth me thy mercy o lord endureth forever forsake not the works of thine own hands Romans 5.24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Now understand, again, what that says. Faithful is he that calleth you. Jeremiah, I have called you, and I will do it. That's really what it means. I will do it through you. So in other words, if God chooses you for a place, he is also promise to enable you to fill that role that he's assigned you to. You know, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, you know, Moses had said, Lord, I, I can't. You know, the interesting thing is, in Stephen's testimony, Stephen said he was, when, you know, he was trained in, the, in Egypt and he was mighty in words and deed. And then when the Lord calls him the backside of the desert and, and, and tells him to go and, and speak unto Pharaoh, he says, I can't speak. And the Lord said unto him, Who made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? And really what he's saying to Moses is, Look, do you think I don't know what I'm doing in choosing you? In commanding you to go back to the land of Egypt and stand before Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Do you think I don't know what I'm doing in choosing you? See, if God chooses you for something, 
Rest in the fact that he's also then promising to enable you to fulfill what he's asking of you. After all, he is sovereign. Somebody said God's calling is his enabling. It's his enabling. So he makes possible our service. And we, by, you know, we need to rest in the presence of God. And, and then secondly, we need to rely on the power of God and his word. It's not really us. It's him. As we rely on him and his word. Look at verse 9. It says, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Verse uh, 12. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Verse 17. Uh, Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces. And here's a warning. Lest I confine thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defense city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. See, so Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, look, you need to rely on the power of my work. You know, I will hasten my word to perform it. You just need to speak my word. That's what you're responsible to do. You just need to speak my word. Lest I confound thee. You know, sometimes I wonder and think that many in the fundamentalist and independent Baptists are confused. They're confounded about the message of salvation. They wonder if their minds have been clouded by the drive for success syndrome. I mean, I've I've had pastors complain about soul winning teams that come into their areas and got professions by quick prayer methods, and they try to follow up with them, and the one who prayed really is clueless as to what salvation is. Yet, the same preacher uses the same methods for soul winning. It just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, no, no repentance. You know, not only are they confused, but also the people who made the professions with, uh, uh, without thorough knowledge of the person of Christ and repentance or general faith are also confused. And, 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 you know, the Lord's telling Jeremiah, look, you speak my words, all that I command thee, and be not dismayed. Don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of what people think about you. You preach my word lest I confound thee. And later on in the book, he's going to call the false prophets that were supposed to be prophets of the Lord, he's going to call them dumb dogs that cannot bark. You know, the reason people have dogs usually is they want a guard dog. You know, I, if I'm going to have a dog, I want a dog that if somebody comes and I'm not aware of, they let me know. They let me know. I mean, if, if somebody tried to get into my house, you know, Bear would let me know. 
even though she's old and getting decrepit, she would still let me know. But you know, a dumb dog would wag your tail and walk up and, you know, to any stranger. That's a dumb dog. That was, they don't warn. And, and he's saying here, look, you know, you just need to speak my word and don't be dismayed or worry about what they say or how they look at you. You know, it is not our clever methodology that brings salvation to our soul, to, the, to a lost soul. It is the power of the word of the living God. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. That's what brings salvation, is the word of God. We're just supposed to be the messenger giving the word of God. As it is, in truth. You know, in Isaiah 55.10, he says, For as the rain cometh down from heaven, cometh down and snow from heaven, and returneth not hither, but watereth the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that I may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereunto, whereto I sent it. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, when you give somebody the word of God, it reveals their heart's intentions. It gets to the, it gets to the, the, the quick, or the real living part of the point of the matter. You know, even the Apostle Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom. I didn't have these clever ways of explaining salvation. I didn't have this certain methodology. Here's what I did. It was in the demonstration of the Spirit of power. In other words, he preached the word of God. There was nothing fancy or oratory about the Apostle Paul. He was just plain speaking the truth. In Acts 24, 25, of course, he had spoken to Felix and it says, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. That's not the often the modern way of winning a soul to Christ. Righteousness, temperance, and judgment. Felix trembled and said, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. You know, have you ever witnessed to somebody that they begin to understand and conviction starts to set in and they begin to react or respond? It can go either way. And your old foxy Felix, he was convicted. And he reacted. And you know what he said? You go away. You go away. I, I, I just can't, I can't take this. You go away. See, the word of God has power. There's power in it. And God's telling Jeremiah, look, the power is in my word. It's not in you. You just need to give my word. And then, fifthly, God is sovereign in our period of service. And there's two things I want to notice here. He's sovereign in the time period in which we serve. In other words, in verse 10 it says, See, 
I have set thee this day. Again, verse 17. Therefore, gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all I command thee. Be not, that's not, that's not the right verse. Um, oh, verse 18. For behold, I have made thee this day. This day. In other words, God chose Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations then. Right then. He was born on that day for that time for the Lord's service. You know, it's said of Esther in Esther 4.14, Mordecai said to her, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Look, Esther, you are here in this place for this time. For God's service. For God's service. You know, we are here in this day, in this time, to serve God in this place. That's what we're here for. We're not here just to serve ourselves. We have a purpose, a God-given purpose, each one of us, in this body. And we're here for this time to serve God in this body of Christ. You know, it was said of David in Acts 13, 36. David, after he'd served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. That is, he died. Romans 13, 11 says, And knowing that, that knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. You know, now is the time for us to serve God. God has given us this time. You, know, you ever say, the good old days. Of course, you haven't said it. You're not old enough. You get my age, you'll, you'll say, the good old days. But you know what? We don't live in the good old days. You know, sometimes it's fun to remember the good old days. But we're not living in the good old days. We're living in the nasty now and now. And what we need to do as servants of the Lord is learn to serve God in this time. You know, I'm reading a book right now about learning to how, to how to make conversation with this modern philosophies we have. You know, how do you start? How do you answer somebody that don't believe in any moral absolutes? How do you answer somebody that all believes that all gods, you know, have a purpose and they're all about the same way and, you know, without coming right out and saying, well, that's dumb and that's wrong, you know. Of course, you'd cut them off if you said that. You know, and, and the writer is saying, you know, we need to ask some questions. That's, of course, that's the way Jesus did it. But, you know, we're, we're confronted with things in this day and time that people generations earlier weren't really confronted with. You know, the Eastern religions have brought a lot of things into our country that, and a lot of belief systems that are different than what we've had in the history of our nation, and people think differently, and, and so we need to learn how to answer, how to question, because we're living in this time. And God has set us here for this time. Uh, so God is sovereign in the time period in which we serve. He's also sovereign in the duration of time we serve. Verse 19 says, And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. 
For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. You know, Isaiah prophesied earlier than Jeremiah. And Isaiah had his life cut off. You think about it. Different ones in the Bible. Stephen preached. He had his life cut off. Or did he? God allowed it. God allowed it. You know, and we know that out of Stephen's martyrdom, we believe that Paul was convicted. And the fruit of that testimony of Stephen, I believe, was, and I think we'll have this confirmed to us when we get to heaven, the, 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 the fruit of Stephen's testimony that day will be the salvation of the Apostle Paul. He was faithful unto death, just like our Lord. But you see, all of us, you know, you know, and life's not equal. You say, well, why did some live so longer than others and have different opportunities than others? That's just the way life is. It's all in God's sovereign choice. And God knows why. He knows the end from the beginning. It's not all the same for all of us. You know, Bobby Mitchell preached a message about this over at Calvary here the other week. So, but see, God is sovereign in the duration of time we serve. You know, he, he told Jeremiah, they will not destroy you. Thou, you will prevail against them. Though they want to kill you, they're going to make efforts to kill you. They will not prevail. And as far as we know, Jeremiah died a natural death. I mean, he was even taken into Egypt where he, where he told the remnant that was left after Nebuchadnezzar you know, carried away them to Babylon and, and he set up a governor in the land of Israel and, and then some of the forces that had fled came back and killed all the Chaldeans and the governor that he set up. And, and then they came to Jeremiah and said, uh, we want to ask the Lord, should we stay in the land of Israel or should we go to Egypt? And so Jeremiah says, okay. Well, I asked the Lord. And so he asked the Lord, and the Lord said, you stay in the land. Don't be afraid of the Chaldeans. And he goes back to them with a message. He said, no, you're just lying to us. You're just lying to us. And they took Jeremiah against his will to Egypt. And he died there. But they didn't kill him. It was like they couldn't kill him. No, it wasn't like they couldn't kill him. They couldn't. Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. You, you think about all, what he says to Jeremiah you know, in verse, uh, verse 18. For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city, an iron pillar, and brazen walls against the whole land against the kings, against the princes of Judah, and against the priests thereof, and against the people. So you know, he covers every class. God covers every class, every, every, every group that would maybe make an effort to kill him. He said, I've, I've made you a defense city against them all. They're not going to prevail against you. Because I am sovereign. I'm sovereign. You ever think about how many times Jesus said, my hour is not yet come. In John 2 and verse 4, Jesus saith unto her, that was his mother, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. John 7 verse 8, His brethren had said to him, Go up to the feast. You know, and they were ready to kill him at Jerusalem. The 
Pharisees and Sanhedrin were already ready to kill him in John chapter 7. He's, and they said, and he said to them, Go ye up unto the feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time, my time is not yet come. Now, the time for me to die is not yet come. In John 7, verse 30, it says, They sought to take him. In other words, they tried. But no man laid hands of him because his hour was not yet come. John 8, verse 20, These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come. And no man will lay hands on you until your hour is come. Because if you're God's child, you're in his hand. And no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. You know, 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul had said, yeah, and there had been many efforts to try and kill Paul. But we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, and it says this, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Now, my, my course is done. I'm going to die. God is going to allow them to put me to death because my course is finished. My course is finished. I've kept, even Peter, 2 Peter 1.13, Yeah, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tablet, I'll stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly... I must put off this my tabernacle, of course, referring to his body. Even our, our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. You know, there's some interesting, uh, in Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 through 7, you know, the two witnesses, which we believe to be Moses and Elijah, that will appear in the first half of the tribulation period. In, in Revelation 3 through 7, or 11, 3 through 7, says this, I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, or if any man's going to try and hurt them, fire, fire proceedeth out of the mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. And these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, have power over the waters to turn them to blood, to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottom of the split shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Well, think about it. For three and a half years, people are going to try to kill them. They will not be able to. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 54 and verse 17 says this, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. You see Psalm 31, verse, I think it's verse 15, says, My times are in thine hand. See, the duration of your time to serve God is in the hand of God. It will be determined by God. You know, I've known good preachers whose lives have ended early. 20, 
30s. I don't know really why. It just happens. You see, God is sovereign. We see good men in the Bible that, that, you know, some that live long lives, serve God for long years. We see other great men, great prophets, and they're killed very quickly. The greatest man born a woman preached six months and got his head cut off. You see, it's God that determines. But you know, that greatest man probably had greater impact on the world than anyone else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the privilege of pointing to Jesus and saying to the world, this is, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one you need to follow. This is the one you need to submit to. This is the one you need to surrender your life to. You know, Jeremiah preached, he witnessed in a time when very few wanted to hear, at a time of great opposition, yet he prevailed, he endured, he suffered, he sorrowed. He's called the weeping prophet. But yet, God protected him. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Yet, He allows us to choose to obey Him, to follow Him, or not to follow Him. You know, yes, it makes us responsible for our own actions. But what a privilege we have to willingly follow Him. You know, if, if we didn't have a choice, the devil would have never been able to say, to God. You know, he, he, would, he would have been right in saying to God, I should say. He'd have been right in saying to God, Job serves you because you protect him. But you know, Job proved to the devil that he did not serve God just because God favored him. He served God because he had a desire to fellowship and please God of his own free will. And it put the enemy to silence. You know, that is the greatest testimony the world sees. You know, anybody could serve God if it was, we all got favored and special privileges and we're protected and nothing bad ever happened to us. Why wouldn't we serve God? But when we serve God and things don't go well and yet we still serve God and obey Him, the world stops back and says, wait a minute. There's something there that's genuine and real. Not just in it for the blessings, the money, the, the favor and all that. No. There's something there in the heart that's real. And it's the peace of God, the knowledge of assurance of salvation that satisfies the soul unlike any other uh, in the world. May we serve God 
understanding that he is sovereign. And his choices are best. We just need to follow him.